So uh, we've been in a series over the last weeks on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I hope if you've been around, it's been something of a blessing to you. Maybe if you have never spoken about the Holy Spirit before, um, because maybe church is all new to you, or you've just been in churches which don't really talk about the Holy Spirit, I hope that this has been something of a blessing to you. I hope it's been a blessing to you if you have some wounds and some pain and some fear around the Holy Spirit, things that have been done or said in your past. Um, I hope that through this, spirit, this season, we've been able, you've been, felt like you've been able to take some steps in um, faith. We've been basically talking these last weeks about the idea that there are multiple realities we live in that we live on earth as human beings bound by physics and maths and chemistry and biology. But we also as Christians live in, spiritual sp- in a spiritual space. And it's not that we have a physical space for Monday to Saturday and then we have a spiritual space on Sunday when we come to church. But actually that these two spaces are really close together. And that the invitation of the Holy Spirit is an invitation to live in both spaces simultaneously. That you can be going to the grocery store and be full of the Spirit and encounter God's power and his presence, just like you can on Sunday. And that's what we've been trying to think about together. What does it mean to be like naturally supernatural people who are full of God's presence and his power? Now, I know it's a bit scary, this topic for many, and I'm on a journey for sure, even though I've been trying to do this for the last 20, 30 years. And just to give you an example of what this can look like, I I got up yesterday morning and I went early in the morning to the gym as I often do on Saturdays. And I did my stuff in the gym and I got back to the multi-story parking lot and there was a lady sitting in the car next to me and I looked over at her and it was pretty dark and dingy in there, but I could tell she was bent over her steering wheel like praying earnestly. And I thought, oh, wow, she's more spiritual than I am. And so I, I thought, what am I going to do? I said, Lord, what, what, do you have anything that I could bless her with this morning? And, and so I thought, oh, God, no, I'm on my day off and I'm going home and it's busy. And so I just felt like the Lord said, Ben, just tell her that I want to bless her and that I love her very much. I thought this is going to be really awkward. So I was just about to drive away when she got in, out of her car and turned around and saw me and smiled. I thought, oh, okay. Here we go. And so I turned to her and I just said, hey, I'm sorry I don't know you, but I just want you to know that God loves you and he wants to bless you today. And I just saw this huge smile came on her face as, and she walked off. And that was it. No more grand life-changing story than that. But it reminded me, like, this is the kind of people that it means to be, to be full of the Spirit. It's not necessarily about shouting and screaming and jumping up and down. It can be, but it's actually just about bringing God's power and his presence of heaven to earth. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, because I want to recognize that for some of us, this is actually quite hard. I know some of us are cautious about the Holy Spirit. Some of us actually desperately want to meet with the Holy Spirit. Maybe like me, you know, you've been like in the prayer meetings for the last years going, hit me. It's like, come on, Holy Spirit. I want the big word. I want the prophet to speak over my life. I want to feel your power. Like I want to be overwhelmed. And actually you you found it difficult. You found it hard. Like heaven has felt far away from you. Well, if that's you, then this morning, I think hopefully this will help a little. 
Because I want to talk about one final part of the jigsaw puzzle of the Holy Spirit, about a way particularly that God helps us to communicate between heaven and earth. And we're going to speak about the gift of tongues. And you all took a big sharp intake of breath and were like, oh no, (laughs) we came on the wrong Sunday. (laughs) What have we done? Now, if you've never heard of it before, it's nothing to do with high school proms. I know it sounds like the kind of things that people might do in high schools. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's actually, you're like, oh no. It's actually one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the good gifts that God gives that we're instructed to eagerly desire. And it has two specific purposes. The first thing is that it's a way of communicating God's will from one person to another person. But the other reason that we have the gift of tongues is actually this heavenly prayer and praise language of the Spirit. And I know that we're often put off with this topic because it can feel weird because it's been taught very strangely by some people in the church. Things like, you can't be a Christian if you don't speak in the gift of tongues, only spirit, you know, spirit-filled people that all give the gift of tongues. Some really strange things have been taught about it. But I want to show you this morning that actually is a real, uh, it's a real sign of blessing, that actually it's a gift that's full of power and intimacy, and it's a beautiful way that we are given to speak to God. It's just one of a number of gifts that we are given that brings particularly together the heaven and the earth spaces. And so I'm not going to be able to go in great detail into it at the time I have, but I do just want to finish off our series by recommending a few books to you. I've been meaning to do this for four weeks and keep forgetting. Um, But if you want to think more about the Holy Spirit, uh, three books I'd really recommend. How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. So if you're not normal, forget that one. Uh, That's Pete Gregg. He's from the 24-7 prayer movement, a great friend of Vintage's. We love him. Um, Everyday Supernatural, another really good friend of ours, Mike Pilavacci, a really brilliant book in very practical terms about hearing God's voice and operating in the power of the Spirit. Um, And then final one you may have come across before, When Heaven Invades Earth, by Randy Clark, and also by the wonderful Bill Johnson from Bethel Church. So really good books I would recommend if you want to look at that. Okay, so the gift of tongues. So a little bit of context that you need. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Now a church in Corinth is going great guns. Like they are blooming and expanding at a rapid rate. But at the same time, things are going a bit weird. A particular thing that is going weird is that their spiritual gatherings, their church gatherings, have become completely like out of control. The spiritual gifts have become this competition that people want to have for who can be the weirdest, who can be the most supernatural, who can be, have like the one-upmanship on the score of spiritual gifts. And so people are coming into churches and people are like prophesying and people are speaking in tongues and people are like being noisy and they're debating and they're arguing. And then non-Christians are walking in going like, what is this? This doesn't make any sense. And what Paul's doing through 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 is he's specifically writing to address this problem. And in 1 Corinthians 12, which is a passage you might know well, he says this, he says, you are all one body, that you have many different parts, many different limbs, many different identities, but you're all part of one thing. Basically, you're not all supposed to be the same, 
Not all of you have the same gifts. All of you are different, but all of you have a purpose and a part that plays within the local church. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says this beautiful passage we use at weddings all the time. Like, love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is self-control. These beautiful words. We say them when people are getting married, and we're like, isn't that what a wedding and a marriage should be like? And it is. But it's actually not what Paul's saying. Paul's actually writing to talk about spiritual gifts. He's like, this is what spiritual gifts are supposed to look like. They're supposed to be loving. They're supposed to be patient. They're supposed to be kind. They're supposed to be self-controlled because they're supposed to build up each other and the body of Christ. And then Paul gets to 1 Corinthians 14, which you're going to read. But in order to understand 1 Corinthians 14, you, you need a little bit of context. You need to understand what's going on. So picture this with me, thought, thought experiment time. So this is the final week of school for lots of our kids. Ice cream parties, my son's about to graduate from elementary school, like all that stuff's going on this week and next week. And imagine that in the school, there was an, a dessert party for all the final year students. And all the kids were invited to bring their favorite desserts. And because they all like ice cream, they all brought ice cream. And they all brought them to this party. And the idea was that they would share it and have a really great time. But instead, what actually happens is they all bring the biggest amount of ice cream to prove how amazing they are until there's so much ice cream that it fills up like one side of the classroom. And then they start eating it and it goes crazy like out of control crazy. Like they start like putting their faces in it. They start throwing it around. They start arguing. Children start vomiting all over the floor. The ice cream goes on the walls. Like it's absolutely completely out of control. And then at the end, once all the children have been like cleaned up and sent home with their parents, the principal writes a report. And the principal's report is to say to the teachers and the parents, in future, in future, this is how ice cream parties are going to happen in our school. Now, you have got the report, and you're trying to answer something. You see, we read the report later, and the question you're trying to answer is this. What does the principal think about ice cream? Seem a bit weird? Yeah, it's a bit on the side. Okay, so if you got that report, and you were trying to answer... What does the principal think about ice cream from a report which is in the aftermath of carnage about some party that went wrong? How would you do it? Shout out. A couple of things that might help you to figure out what the principal thinks about ice cream. Sorry? Well, everybody loves ice cream, yes. How would you know how, what the principal thinks about ice cream? Sorry? No more. Yeah, what, what, the, what the principal says about ice cream. Yeah, anything else? Sorry? It can be a mess, yeah. So I guess what you would probably need to do is you would need to be able to separate the event, what had actually gone wrong, with the little clues that the principal would give you to know what the principal really thinks. Now, that's really important because that's what Paul's doing here. No ice cream. But Paul is writing to this church where the spiritual gift thing has gone out of control and everyone's gone really weird. But what we're trying to read into it, when we're going to read it in a moment, is we're asking the question, what does Paul think about the gift of tongues? With me? Okay. So 
we're going to read this now. Sarah's going to come and read 1 Corinthians 14. And the question that I want you to ask is, from this report about things that have gone a bit weird in the local church, what does Paul want us to know about the gift of tongues? Is it good? Is it bad? Does it have a place? What is it all about? So 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a, in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be edified. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to cheat slightly because I'm going to draw on some other verses as well. What does Paul want to tell us about the gift of tongues? Well, here's some baseline things. Number one, the gift of tongues was completely normal within the life of the local church, in the historic church. It was normal. People were doing it all the time in all sorts of different contexts. In verse 18, which is just after what Sarah read, she says this, Paul says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you do. It's normal. It's part of the life of the church. The second thing you need to know is that not everybody speaks in the gift of tongues. It's not, as far as I can see anyway, a mark of being a Christian in, this, in an exact way. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 and 30. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? And I guess we would say, no. Do all speak tongues and do all interpret? The answer is, like, no. Not everybody has all of the gifts at once. And so therefore, really important thing we need to know, there's no such thing as first class and second class Christians, whether you speak in the gift of tongues. And some of you have been led to believe that, and it's not true. It's not. But the gift of tongues is a good gift. It's one of the good gifts that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 11. Paul says, eagerly desire it. Go for it. Why? Because it's good. Because it's beneficial. Because it can do things to help you in your relationship with Jesus. And so therefore, what do we need to know about the gift of tongues is that it is something we should desire and go after. We might not all have it, but it is of benefit to us. I don't think you can, you don't think you have to have the gift of tongues to be a Christian. I don't think you have to have the gift of tongues to be full of the Holy Spirit. But what I do know is that it is a good, wonderful, beautiful gift that God gives for our benefit. And so therefore it has things to teach us. So what is it? What is the gift of tongues? Well, here's the best definition I've got. It is a new love language from the Spirit that strengthens us and helps us with praise, with prayer, 
and with communicating God's voice to others. Let's just look at that a minute. It's a love language from the Holy Spirit. It's something from the Holy Spirit working deep in our lives that strengthens us, that helps us to pray and to praise, and it can communicate God's voice to others. Basically, it's it's a supernatural language. The word in the Greek is glossolalia. It is a word that you don't, it's a language that you don't already have. It's a language of the Holy Spirit. Now, on this sort of Queen's Jubilee time that none of you care about, but I do a little bit, you know, I'm sort of coming to the conclusion on these sorts of weekends that God doesn't speak Queen's English. You know, I I might be wrong, but I I have come to the conclusion that in heaven this morning, the conversation is not, oh, Jesus, how are you this morning? Oh, we're wonderful, how are you? Like, maybe it is like that, but I'm assuming that actually Jesus does not speak Queen's English. God doesn't speak Queen's English in heaven. I'm assuming he doesn't even speak American. I'm sorry, like maybe he does. So I'm sorry, and they're like, low blow. <laughs> I don't think he speaks French. I don't think he speaks Mandarin. I don't think he speaks Korean. I assume that God has his own language. He can speak any language, obviously. But I assume that he has a natural language, his communication in heaven. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the communication of the Holy Spirit. And in a way, I think that's what the gift of tongues it helps us to understand. It is a language not of earth, but it is a language of the Spirit speaking through us, from our hearts to God's. A few weeks ago, I was in Mexico with um, Mauricio and some of the team here, and I had this opportunity to speak, um, in a, like totally impromptu in an evening kind of church meeting. And I was speaking in British English. Mauricio, bless him, who is American, but originally from Columbia, he was trying to translate from British English through American English and through his like Colombian Spanish into Mexican Spanish so that the people who were in the room could understand everything that he was saying. Like, bless the people who were listening and Mauricio for his gifts. But it was taking quite a lot of steps through the translation process. And I realized that probably not everything got translated to those people's ears exactly as they started in my heart. What the gift of tongues does is it removes the need for some of the translation process because it takes the things that the Holy Spirit is saying and doing so deep within us and it brings them out into the world, into the spiritual realm without all the need for English and all the translations that go along the way. And what it does is it has two particular methods, two particular uh, dimensions that it operates in. The first one is in the horizontal between two people, and the second one is in the vertical, between us and God. So let's just let's unpack them for a minute. So the horizontal dimension of the gift of tongues. Paul says this, verse 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, tongues... Cool, really useful, but what was happening is that people were getting up in the church and somebody who had the gift of tongues was spouting off for like 10, 15, 20 minutes in a language that nobody understood. And then somebody else was coming to the front and they were then spouting off for 10, 15, 20 minutes in another tongue that nobody understood. And people who were in the church were going, this is nuts. Like this is no help to us whatsoever because people who didn't understand anything about Jesus were coming to church and like, 
I got nothing, right? All I got is weirdness. That doesn't help. So what Paul says is that, he says in verse five, six, and then nine, he says, someone has to interpret what's going on. Because if you interpret it, he says, then the whole church is going to be strengthened. If I should come to you speaking an unknown language, how could it possibly help you? But if instead I bring a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that's going to help you. If you speak in words that people don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into an empty space. And so what Paul is saying is this, is that there are times when the Holy Spirit will stir things inside us, people who have the gift of tongues. And in a moment, in a gathering like this, they will feel that God is saying, you've got to say something. And so they might stand up at a, like a, a lectern and they might start to speak. But the thing that they're going to say is not going to be in a locally known language. And so what Paul is saying is someone else is going to need to interpret what's going on. Somebody who has a particular gift of being able to interpret what is being said. And as as far as I understand it, it's like this. The first person says, I feel like something is going on inside me. I feel like I just need to speak something out. And so they come up and they let it out. And it's probably not English. And the other person on the other side of the room is listening. And what they're able to do is they're able to say, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Not this is what the person meant. Not even necessarily what the translation of the original words are in particular order. But in their spirit, they can hear. They can translate. They can interpret. Now, it might sound a bit weird, but we've seen it, actually, a vintage. So when we were having one of our pre-launch afternoon teas, it was very nice. It was in someone's back garden, and you know there was jam and scones, and you know there was tea and coffee. And I was just talking to a bunch of people like this. And I, um, somewhere, suddenly in the middle of this lovely afternoon tea party, someone stood up and they said, I'm really sorry, but I just feel like God has given me a tongue, a gift for you. Now, inwardly, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> this is not going to help us as we promote our church. Um, but I was like, okay, all right, you, you give the gift, give, give a second. And so he just started to speak for about a minute. It was a language nobody knew. It was not anything anyone recognized. But suddenly, I thought, okay, well, we're going to have to ask for an interpretation here because that's going to be really weird, if not helpful, if we don't. So with fear and trepidation, I said, hey, does anybody have an interpretation for that thing? And completely separately, two other people from different parts of like, the place stood up. And they said, I think we know what that said. And completely independently, they both said the same thing that was a thing of God's blessing on the church, of how God loves us, of what God wants to do in the life of the church. Like it was, I've never seen it anywhere else before, but it was absolutely beautiful. Um, And that's called glossolalia. But there's another type as well, which we see which in the, the early church, which is almost where like God uses a xenoglossolalia where you don't need an interpreter because the gift is not actually in a language that nobody understands. It's actually in a language that somebody might understand. In Acts chapter 2, if you know that, the Holy Spirit comes on the church. And what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on the church is the first disciples are able to speak. 
not in a random heavenly language, but in a language that those people who were visiting Jerusalem at that time were able to speak. That's what happened at Pentecost. I have another great example I'm just going to take from, straight from this book, my friend Mike. And uh, he's a funny guy, and, and he downplays everything. But he said this. A few years ago, we were at an evening meeting at Soul Survivor, which is the worship uh, place that he leads. And we were praying for people to receive the gift of tongues. And visitors from different countries and were coming, and this year there happened to be a group from Romania. The youth leader from this group didn't believe in the gift of tongues. So as we invited the Holy Spirit, he got up and began to walk out. As people were beginning to pray, the rest of us in the big top began to speak out praise to God, either in English or in tongues. And I happened to be praying over the microphone in tongues, and I noticed it seemed a little different to me. I even wondered if I was subconsciously trying to make it sound better, as so many people could hear me. Afterwards, a couple of people came up to me from the Romanian group. They ran up and they said that as I'd started to speak, the youth leader had stopped in his tracks. He had been stunned because he recognized the language. I was speaking in apparently ancient Romanian. According to him, I was reciting an 11th century Romanian poem called The Prayer for Protection. To add to that, he knew the words because the poem was one that had been tattooed on his father's back. That youth leader now believes in the gift of tongues. <laughs> I'm sure he does. That's pretty cool, right? Now, that's not where I am with the gift of tongues. I secretly hope that one day somebody might say, that was ancient Romanian. It's never happened yet. But it's a beautiful gift that the church is given with, it, with interpretation. Now, there's another part. What's the other part? The other part is the vertical, which is without interpretation. It is the language that the Spirit sometimes uses to help us to speak and to pray and to praise. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind's not connected. It's my spirit. Jude 1.20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, that it's about praying something from the depth of our Holy Spirit that comes out through our mouths, but maybe not in the language that we understand. You know, I don't know if you ever have these moments where you, you just feel so overwhelmed that you don't have language for it. You know, this last week, as I saw the, the shootings in Texas, you know, like my heart was broken and full of emotion, full of things that I wanted to say, but they were actually much too big for English words, or certainly ones that I could use in a church. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, like sometimes in, in prayer and worship and when we're going for it and our hearts are just overwhelmed by this sense of like, oh, I so love you, God. You're so good. You're so beautiful. You're so kind that, that again, like English isn't enough. Our natural tongue isn't enough, but our spirits want to cry out. They want to pour out some praise and worship. Paul says like this in the same way Romans 8, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit intercedes through words, and he who searches knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That there's this sense that sometimes the Holy Spirit will like unleash something deep within us that just needs to come out of our mouth, and it doesn't actually matter what it sounds like. 
It doesn't matter if it's in English or French or in German or in you know, Mandarin. That's not the point. The, what, the point is that sometimes it just needs to get out into the air and into the spaces. Paul says, verse 15, I will pray in the spirit. And then, else, and then he says, but I'll also pray in words. I'll understand. I will sing in the spirit sometimes. Other times I will sing in words I understand. For if you pray in, only in the spirit, other people won't be able to understand and pray along with you. And they won't be able to join with you giving thanks, but you will be giving thanks really, really well. There seems to be this private prayer language that God gives us. And as we pray, it's actually like we remove the layers of the interpretation from English to French to German to whatever, and therefore it becomes almost more of a connection with the Lord. It becomes more of an intimacy. It becomes more of a beautiful thing. It unleashes something of heaven as we draw near. Jackie Pullinger, who you might have heard of before, she's a a very posh British lady, and she grew up down the street from where Laura and I used to live. And when she was 18 years old, she felt the Lord call her to buy a one-way round-the-world third-class boat ticket. And she got on the boat, and she said, I'm staying on the boat until the Lord tells me to get off. And she got all the way to Hong Kong, and she got off the boat. And the Lord led her to the darkest, like dingiest, most drug-riddled, crime-infused part of Hong Kong at that time, the Kowloon Walled City. And there she ministered to, to drug addicts, to prostitutes, to people lying in the filth. But the first few years, she said, were really hard. But she'd heard of this gift of the Holy Spirit, and she says this in her book. By the clock, I prayed 15 minutes a day in the language of the Spirit, and I felt nothing, as I'd asked the Spirit to help me intercede for those he wanted to reach. But after about six weeks of this, I began to lead people to Jesus without even trying Gangsters started to fall on their knees, started sobbing in the streets. Women were healed. Heroin addicts were miraculously set free. And I knew it was nothing to do with me. PJ Smyers says this, praising God in English is like a sports commentator who has to think of sensible things to say when a great goal is scored, while tongues is like the roar of the crowd. It doesn't make as much sense as the commentator, but the shouts actually express true feelings a lot better than the commentator. And everybody understands that the cheering, nonsensical noises actually mean tangible things, like goal, score, we're winning. Tongues is a bit like that. It comes from the heart. And you know, that's totally been my experience I think I was about 17 when someone said, hey, would you like the gift of tongues? And I said, sure. And I prayed. And for the first five, 10 years, thought, I have no idea what this is. Maybe I'm making it up. Maybe this is just me trying to be impressive. I have no idea what's going on. But over time, what I've come to realize that sometimes when I'm going out and I'm praying around my neighborhood late at night and I'll just walk, I'll, I'll say, well, why don't I just pray in the spirit? for the next like five or 10 minutes. Or as I go down this block, I'm gonna pray in the spirit and hope that nobody's listening. And I'll just go and I'll pray and I'll just start praising God in whatever it feels like inside my heart. And often it's not in English. It just seems to be in something else. But it's amazing as you do that, that something starts to shift. Like, I don't know if you've ever felt like, man, I'm praying and it feels like I'm hitting a brick wall. 
Or I'm, I'm really trying my best to encounter the Holy Spirit, but actually this just feels like me being you know, tired and boring and I'm bored of praying and I don't know what else to say. And when I start to speak in the gift of tongues, praising in the Spirit, something starts to shift in my spirit. Something starts to happen. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but it's things start to shift in the spiritual realm around me. And I think that is what they're getting at here, what Jackie Pullinger is getting at, is that heaven starts to draw near to earth a little bit. So, finally, how do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the last couple of minutes? Totally supernaturally, bolt of lightning as you're walking down to Trader Joe's from your car? (laughs) Unlikely. (laughs) Could happen, probably not going to happen. Something that you ask for and then develop and grow in? More likely. (laughs) Mike in his book says this, three things. Number one, if you want the gift of tongues, you've actually got to believe the gift of tongues is real. You've got to be open to the possibility that it is one of the good gifts, Matthew 7, 11. And if it is, you actually have to be prepared to pray in faith. The second thing is you've got to ask for it. And if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. That's what my kids tell me all the time. That you have to ask for it. Simple, straight up, God, could I have this gift? And interestingly, as we ask for it, there seems to be a second part to it, which is about confessing. Because you see, as the gift of tongues starts to close the gap between heaven and earth in front of us, it's really important that nothing is in between that gap that we have left there, like sin. And so often when people ask for the gift of tongues, there seems to be this step where they say, actually, we're going to confess privately on our own those things that might be in the way. So we believe, we ask, and then here's the hard one. We just have to do it. (laughs) We step out. We step out, as David Pitchers says, speaking in tongues or praying in the spirit is what happens when a Christian believer allows the indwelling spirit to guide the form of the words they utter. It's not an act of divine ventriloquism, but it's an act of collaboration. I don't believe that anyone has been totally just overwhelmed by the spirit and start babbling incoherently. That's not how it happens. It seems to happen when people say, can I have the gift of tongues? And then they allow the things that are deep inside them to start to bubble up and come out. And they start to not care what sounds like, but they just start to communicate from their hearts. So how do you do it? Well, it seems like you actually just have to make a noise. (laughs) You just have to. Now that sounds ridiculously scary, like what if I start making a noise and I start swearing at the people around me? Or what if I say something deeply offensive, what do I do? Well, it just seems like we actually just have to let something out. Mike Pilavachi says, if you don't know what else to say, start with this phrase, she came on a Honda. She came on a Honda. It sounds spiritual, like it might mean something. It's actually about a motorbike, but it'll do. Shalabala bila bala. That's fine. Anything is fine because it's not really about what comes out of your mouth. It's what's going on in your heart that really matters. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And what you'll start to realize over time is that God will start to stir something, develop something, maybe even birth something, that eventually maybe somebody will say, wow, that's ancient Hungarian. Right now, it's just a load of Hondas. That's totally fine. And so uh, that's enough of the theory. But it would be a bit weird to have a session on the, the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues if we didn't at least offer an opportunity to try it. And now you're all thinking where the nearest exit is. It's okay. So Ben, what we're going to do is we're all just going to stand and there's no pressure. And if you're visiting today and you think this is all just really weird, there's no pressure to join in at all. 
but we're going to sing some songs of worship. And I'm going to invite you to stand where you are right now. And I'm just going to lead us in a really, really simple set of prayers. And if you have no interest in this, that's totally fine. And no one's going to do anything weird to you. But I dare to believe that some of you might like this gift because it's a good one. And if you would, you can pray this with me and at the end you can practice this very quietly and no one's going to judge you, I promise. But I'm going to lead us in a prayer. So if the gift of tongues is something you'd like, I'm just going to invite you to start with a, a moment of confession with the Lord just to clear the decks to say sorry to him for some stuff that you know is just lurking that needs dealing with right now Father I'm sorry for the things I've said, for the things I've done, and for the things that I failed to do. For my words and for my actions. Thank you that you forgive me as I repent every time, every time. you welcome me home and now if you if this is any interest to you that you can just simply pray this prayer Holy Spirit fill me today and today I would love the gift of tongues because it is a good gift that you offer to us. Thank you.